In the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Welcome to Thursday night Bible study. I pray tonight that the word of the Lord will help you. That the word and the spirit will help us. Amen. So good to be here tonight. It's always good to be in the house of the Lord and good to be with God's people. Amen. Uh, last week we talked about uh, the called to discipleship. It's a series that I started last week on the called or the are are called according to discipleship. And um, last week was lesson number one. Today is lesson number two. Last week, we dealt a lot with the invitation to discipleship. Let me say this. I said it before, but I I feel like I, I need to reinforce this time and time again. When we're called out of darkness into God's marvelous light, called out of sin into righteousness, called out of the world, Converted. But oftentimes we stay as converts while God wants us to go on to become disciples. And so we do ourselves an injustice by becoming converts and just want to just say, well, thank God because he saved me. Well, thank God because I was once lost, but now I'm found. Well, thank God I used to do this and I used to do that, but I no longer do it anymore. And it's okay to thank God for those things, but we have to go on to discipleship. And just remaining a convert, thanking God for removing your sins. The Bible says, you know, we're baptized in his name for the remission of sins. So just to be happy that, our sins was remitted just to be happy that he's filled us with his spirit just to be happy that oh you know I'm a part of the family of God it's not everything it's something but it's not everything we must go on to become disciples and I believe there's 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 a hang-up right there between convert and discipleship and I believe we struggle remaining convert when you remain a convert Christianity becomes boring. When you remain a convert, you become frustrated. But when you become a disciple, it changes the game for us. Because now there is so many moving parts to discipleship and we no longer will be, if we don't want to be, bored or frustrated because a disciple always have something to do a disciple always have something to do a convert is still celebrating i was once lost but now i'm found a convert if they don't 
become disciple, a disciple, they think about, oh, got to get to heaven. But remember what I told you. If we're living to go to heaven, we might miss heaven. It's, if we're living to please Jesus, then we will get to heaven. And so tonight, in this series of called to discipleship, we will deal with the process of discipleship. The process of discipleship. It's good to understand the process of it. Because sometimes life becomes tough. Sometimes life becomes challenging. Sometimes you will begin to second guess yourself, wonder, do I really have faith? Am I really a Christian? Am I really living for God? When in actuality, you're just going through the process and there's nothing wrong, you're just going through the process. In Matthew chapter 16, verse number 15, the Bible says, he said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed Art thou Simon Barjona? For flesh and blood had not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The church doesn't belong to me. The church doesn't belong to you. The church belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his church. And if you want your demise to come really quick, treat the church like it's yours. The church belongs to Jesus. I have seen and continue to see men with good intentions that God has called to pastor his church and they began to pastor God's church like it's theirs. Anytime a man or a woman pastor God's church like it's theirs, they put themselves in trouble. Let me tell you how deep that go. The Bible says the church is the bride Now, you know what kind of union a husband and a wife should have. That's serious when you get in between a man and, a, and his wife. That's serious business. Well, when any man, including the pastor or any minister or any person, get in between God and his church, that man is in trouble. Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, 
and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. And so I'm going to talk to you a little bit tonight in working through our uh, series called to discipleship. I want to show you the process of discipleship. Usually, Jesus, if you read through the Gospels, you'll see this. Jesus asked the deep questions to the Pharisees and these others that may be deemed as scholars. He normally asks them deep questions because they think they know. And so Jesus will ask them something that they just get confounded by it. And so usually Jesus would ask these deep questions to Pharisees and others. But on this day, he asked the 12 disciples. He turned to them and asked, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? That is very important for us as we read our Bible to see that, that Jesus is asking the question, who am I? Who am I? To you, you have walked with me. To you, you have been with me. Who am I to you? And so it's important, church, that we come to the knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is. It's not enough to say he is the Christ. It's not enough to say he is the son of God. We must come to know him intimately that we're able to identify who he really is. Our knowledge of who he is is significant to who we will be. He knew there were rumors about Jesus of Nazareth. He knew that. He knew people were talking. He knew they were saying, is he just a prophet? Was he the Messiah? Where did he get the power to work these miracles, signs, and wonders? People wanted to know. So Jesus asked the men who would know what people were saying. When he asked them, Peter responded, and said, some say you are John the Baptist. Some say you are Elias, maybe even Jeremiah. 
Some think you are just one of the prophets. <laughs> Jesus nodded. Of course, Jesus know all things. Nodded. He said, all right. You told me what everybody thought. What do you think? What do you think? This is why sometimes it's important when we pray to express who Jesus is to us. Because you need to know who he is. It's not good enough to serve or live or be a Christian in, 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 in the church and don't know the God of the church. And there are so many people, I must say, there are so many people that consider themselves a part of the church, but they don't know the God of the church. It is interesting to know what others think of Jesus. It is absolutely vital that we know who he is. As you know, knowing who Jesus is is obtaining faith. Remember I told you that when you come to the knowledge, when you obtain the knowledge of who Jesus is, that Jesus Christ is almighty God manifest in flesh. When you come to that knowledge, you have obtained faith because you understanding that gives you an open door to everything else. Life and godliness. Everything else opens up to you when you come to the knowledge of the Bible says in the beginning God created. Now while the Bible says us God created is this being that is unseen, invisible, that's creating all this stuff. I hope we understand that. Because he wasn't physical at that time. He was just creating things. He was doing things. He was in the fire with the Hebrew boys, but you really couldn't see him, but you saw his footsteps. He was doing things, but he wasn't physically seen. But there had to come a time. He prepared this the whole time. There had to come a time where he would come on the scene so you can really see him. One of the reasons why he had to do it was because of our sins. And the Bible says, without the shedding of blood there is no remission spirit don't have blood if he remain an invisible spirit man had no hope and then there was no man qualified who had blood that could die and shed his blood for everybody because all had sin so there was no man qualified so God knew that all along and so while he did business way back when, invisibly, just calling things into existence, because he's God, he knew that he was coming in the flesh sooner or later, because that was necessary. And so when you come to that knowledge of understanding that, you're telling me this almighty God that the scripture says, in him does all things consist. Now, how is that possible that in him all things consist? But then he can become a human. When you come to that knowledge and understanding of that, now you have obtained faith because that now makes everything else possible. 
This is why the Bible says with Christ, all things are possible. Because if almighty God can become man, what couldn't he do? He is not limited. So we must understand that. And when we get that, you have obtained the knowledge of who God is. You have obtained faith. Now you know everything is possible now. But the moment you limit God, so the person that says, well, I can't see how that's possible. You know what I like to say without getting into anything deep. Well, maybe you're serving a God that's limited. If you can't see that's possible, then you're serving a God that is limited. My God don't have no limits around him. My God don't have any limits because he is the one that created all things. No limits. So while I don't understand every single thing about this almighty God who became man, I understand that he makes all things and he makes everything possible that we don't know about. I know that about him. And I can't explain everything just like nobody can explain everything about what he has done. But he's God almighty. And so the word of God teaches us when 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 Simon Peter says thou art the Christ, Christ means Messiah. Messiah means physical man, natural, anointed man, but still a man. Never get tricked when you read the Bible and it says son of God. What do you mean, preacher? Because people see that word son and in their mind, well, that must be God's son. When all God is trying to tell us is once you become human, you don't have a choice. You are somebody's son. You can't be a human and not be somebody's son. So he was telling us the legal term of son. But we want to think that, well, God had a son. Just think, before God manifested himself, he was an invisible being that we couldn't see. It ain't possible to have a son, plus there was no God lady. <laughs> And last I checked, the only way baby come is by a woman and a man. <laughs> there was no God lady. So when you hear son of God, just understand what it really means. That is God being son in the physical. <laughs> First Timothy three, verse 16, the word of God says, and without controversy. I don't have time to argue with you about certain things. Because the word says, without controversy, if you want to make controversy out of something that's non-controversial, that's on you. But I'm not going to make a controversy out of it because the Bible says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. How much more, do, how much more explanation we need? This word says God big capital G, was manifest in the flesh. What, what else we need? But I'll go on. Justified in the spirit. Still that invisible spirit being, but the fullness of the Godhead is all in him. Uh-huh. Seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, 
believe on this, believe on in the world and receive up in glory. I'm reading that and got tied up because I started thinking, shame on us because the demons knew who he was. <laughs> they knew. <laughs> and here we are down here trying to figure, well, is it the son? Is it the father? How do we do this? Okay. This says God was manifest in the flesh. It didn't say the son of God manifest in the flesh. It didn't say anything about anyone else. It said God was manifest in the flesh. Peter was the disciple who proclaimed, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. By this point, when Peter proclaimed that, Peter knew Jesus pretty well. He had followed him from the day he finished fishing for fish and started fishing for men. So Simon told Jesus, by the way, Simon and Peter, same person. So if you hear me saying Simon or Peter, same person, and you'll get to see that. Um, and, And if you go back to the text that we read, you'll see that. So Simon told Jesus what he thought of him by revelation of the spirit. So when Simon told Jesus who he thought he was, that was a revelation that he got by the spirit of God. And Jesus was pleased with what Simon Peter said to him. In fact, Jesus even praised Simon for that. That had to make Simon feel good. Blessed art thou, Simon, for flesh and blood had not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And he must have been feeling good. As a matter of fact, he went on to tell Peter some other good stuff. Simon had revealed a revelation that only came from God, but Jesus was not finished. Jesus gave Simon a name change when he got Peter. He also gave him a promise and also gave him authority. That was a good day for Simon. Can you imagine? You had an encounter with Jesus. And he asked you a question and you were able to give him the right answer to the question. And then because you gave him the right answer to the question, he said, guess what? I am going to change your name. I am going to, uh, you are going to be blessed. And I am going to give you the authority to help people get into heaven. Man, what a day that Jesus told Simon, you get the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Man, Peter must have woke up the next morning as a spiritual powerhouse. He had promise now and authority now. Can you imagine when you had an encounter with Jesus like that? And you must wake up the next day like, man, in our terms, we had some church yesterday. Because you know you're not the same anymore. Then Jesus told the disciples not to tell anyone he was the Christ. Then Jesus broke the bad news. They were not going to camp in Caesarea Philippi forever. Jesus was bound for Jerusalem soon. And when he arrived, he would suffer at the hands of the elders, chief priests and scribes, and they were going to kill him. But he was going to raise from the dead on the third day. Sadly, when he was telling the disciples these things, they didn't hear that last part. Selective hearing. 
we have selective hearing, and that's been going on in the Bible. So when we read our Bible, we will see these disciples. He had told them what was going to happen to him. Selective hearing, because we only like to hear what we like to hear. As soon as we start hearing what we don't like to hear, we kind of shut down, turn off, and we're kind of moving on in our mind. Even though we act like we're listening, we're no longer listening because we have selective hearing. We only want to hear what we want to hear, and we don't want to hear anything else. I was reading the scripture this morning that tells us where it says, in the last days, perilous times shall come. And, and it's talking about men will only want to hear, you know, the, the, the messages that itch their ear. They don't want to hear sound doctrine. You come to a church like this and you get taught sound doctrine and you leave saying, nah, I'm good. I ain't going to that church. This is too important for me to treat this like anything else. This is too important for me to treat this like anything else. Yeah, there's so many other things in our world that when we begin to hear it, and if it doesn't measure up to who we are and what we are in life and what we're trying to accomplish, we say, ah, later for that. That's fine. This, my one soul and eternity, is too important for me to say, I'm only going to listen to what I like. That is not what you want to do. This is too important for me to say I only want to hear what I like. Because you got to realize if you if you error in that, it means you're going to miss out on eternity and you won't be blessed. This was the first time when Jesus told them that was the first time Jesus had distinctly, clearly told them his plan of going to Calvary. He had spoken in some vague, veiled terms before. So they, he had said it to them that he was going to the cross before, but not as clear as he did this time. Since Jesus had Praise Peter just minutes earlier. Peter may have felt like he had earned the right to speak up at the mention of Jesus' suffering and death. Peter nobly stood up for Jesus. He even took Jesus aside, began to rebuke him for saying things about him dying. And Jesus took this opportunity to let Peter know and let us know that discipleship is a process. And because you have heard a good word and God has told you something excellent and positive and 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 just it's a blessing to you because God had had spoken something in your heart and in your mind and in your hearing of what he wants to do and what he will do in your life because God has told you that it does not mean you have arrived as a disciple. Because God has blessed you and used you, it does not mean you have arrived as a disciple. And so Peter was used mightily by the Spirit to declare who Jesus is. And when Jesus began to speak spiritual things to him, he began to speak carnal. So one minute, here he is thinking he's spiritual. And next minute, the Lord had to check him and says, you ain't that spiritual, Peter. <laughs> Because discipleship is a process. Uh-huh. 
No matter how close Peter felt to the Lord, he was still miles away from being like Jesus. We are not transformed into mature Christianity overnight. No, no. In fact, it does not happen in one month or one year. You pray through at the altar on Sunday. So why are you still struggling? Maybe what some of us may ask ourselves. You are not alone in asking these questions. And they are fear, fair questions. But the answer lies in one word. Process. Process, church. Process. Discipleship does not happen once and for all at an altar. Discipleship happens every moment of every day. And some days we do well and we find ourselves living right. Other days we do not do so well and we find ourselves feeling far away from the Lord Jesus. (laughs) But hear me tonight. It is not as important how close we feel to Jesus as it is in the direction we're going toward Jesus. So the days when you feel like I'm not feeling Jesus, I don't feel his touch, I don't feel his presence, I don't feel like I'm close to Jesus. On those days that you're feeling like that, ask yourself, but what is my direction? Am I still praying? What is my direction? Do I still trust in him? What is my direction? Do I still have faith? What is my direction? Am I still reading the word of God? What is my direction? Am I still living this life? And you ask yourself that. And if you can say yes, then you know I am still going in the right direction, even though I can't feel Jesus, even though I don't feel like I'm close to him. I'm still going in the right direction. Discipleship is a process, but we must all strive to become disciples. It's not good enough to just be a convert. It's not just good enough to be born again of the water and of the spirit. It's not good enough just to talk in tongues. It's not good enough just to say I was baptized in Jesus name. It's not good enough to just say I live holy and righteous. It's not good enough to just say I'm a Christian. I must strive to become a disciple at some point in time. Do not get frustrated that you still get frustrated. (laughs) Do not get frustrated that you still get frustrated as a Christian. Discipleship is not a one-time event, but a daily process. What does process even look like, though? (laughs) Process. It looks like patience. And patience is rarely pretty. In fact, it can be downright ugly. Mm -hmm. It can be patience does not come naturally to us at all. No, we're not naturally patient. And if you think you are patient, go down to one of the DMVs. Especially if you think you got something to do afterwards. Go down to the DMV about 9 o'clock and have something scheduled about 11 o'clock. We'll see if you have patience then. <laughs> go to the post office. I still go to the post office to buy stamps. I still mail stuff off. 
<laughs> Go to the post office and see what happens. My Lord, you'll know if you have patience or you don't have patience. <laughs> Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. amen. Hallelujah. And so patience is a big part of the process. Discipleship is constantly happening in our life. It's not a one thing. It's not a two thing. It's constant. And so we must look at our life and realize that the things that are happening is to make us to become disciples of Christ. The discipleship process includes patience. If Peter had known what his future would hold, he would have been thrilled and scared at the same time. I got to tell you, I, I feel like that many times. I'm thrilled and scared at the same time. Because I know God is going to do great things. He has done great things. Because if you look back on your life, I know I do this in my life. I look back and realize where God has brought me to. And I'm like, how did you do, how did you do this, Lord? How did you pull this off? And then I can think back and I can see some of the challenging things, and, but some of the great things. And so as a, as a disciple of Christ, that should make you just excited and scared at the same time. And not scared in a bad way because you know God will take care of you, but scared knowing that there is going to be some challenges that you're going to feel like, man, there is no way out of this situation. You're going to feel like, oh, this is so hard. You're going to feel those times because we are in this flesh. But you have to remember when you start feeling like that, what God has brought you through, what God has helped you overcome. That's what you got to do. When you get nervous, when you start to start to get concerned about the challenges that you're facing, uh, the, the, the uncomfortable things that you have, you're going through, you need to start saying, God, you have brought me to this point, and there are things that was in my way before, there are feelings that I had before, and you still brought me through, and I know you'll bring me through again. I don't know how you're going to do it. I can't explain how you're going to do it, but you have did it so many times. You've done it so many times. I'm trusting you to do it again, Lord, because you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You never change. And Lord, you rescued me before, you'll rescue me again. You delivered me before, you'll deliver me again because you're so faithful. You're so faithful. He doesn't change, church. And so when you're nervous, when you're uncomfortable, when you're concerned, when you don't know what's going to happen, you just have to say, God, I didn't get to this place without going through some things. And you brought me through those things. I know you'll bring me through these things now. That's what you got to know. That's what you got to understand. He brought you through those things before. He will bring you through these things that you're dealing with now. Yes, he will. Peter was going to preach the inaugural message for the church on the day of Pentecost in Acts. But he didn't know that in Matthew. Come on now, follow me. In Matthew, when Jesus, remember the last thing Jesus said to, said to Peter at the spot right there in Matthew was, get thee behind me, Satan. That Jesus just pumped me up and told me, that I am blessed and he changed my name and he gave me the keys and then in the next breath he rebuking me calling me the devil 
And so he left off on being rebuked, called, being called the devil. There is no way when he was called the devil at that time that he thought he would be preaching the inaugural sermon in Acts. But that's how it is when you're becoming a disciple. That's how things work. You're going to find yourself in different situations and predicament and challenging things. And but you just have to know that's not the end. Whatever you're going through, that's not the end. Whatever you're dealing with, that's not the end. God has great plans for your life. God is taking you somewhere. But the journey has different things that will happen on it. So while you're on this journey, different things are happening, but it's not the end. As far as Peter knew, he was a failure in Matthew chapter 16. I don't know about you, but let me raise my hand first that I've had plenty of times where I felt like I was a failure and that maybe this is it. You don't have to raise your hand. I'm telling you about me. I felt like this is it. I don't know what's going to happen. And I don't know if I'm ever going to be saved no more. I don't know if I'm going to make it to the end. I don't know if I'm going to heaven. I don't know. This is probably it. I don't know. I done messed up. I don't know. (laughs) And then you find yourself, then you see nobody cleans up mess better than Jesus. I don't care how good you are in cleaning up mess. Nobody cleans up mess, Brother D, better than Jesus. I don't know how he cleans up mess the way that he does. I don't know how he gets us through what he gets us through like he does. I don't know. I don't want to get in his way. When I make a mess and I just don't do what I'm saying, I just let him do what he needs to do. And that's why he says, be still and know that I am God. Because nobody can cleans up can clean up mess like Jesus. If you start doing something, you will just make a bigger mess. Just stay still and let the Lord know how much you are sorry for what you have done that's all so all you can do is let the Lord know how sorry you are but don't start trying to act like you're cleaning it up people always like to tell you what you should do I cannot tell y'all how much people have told me what I should do I remember years ago I was remembering this one day I remember years ago somebody told me you know You're going to be the next superintendent of the district. I'm talking about about, eight years ago, nine years ago. You're going to be the next superintendent of the district. You need to do blah, 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 blah. I act like I never heard that. I cannot tell you how many times people have told me what I need to do. And because I have my experience with the Lord and know the less that I do, the better off I am. When people start telling me what to do, I stop doing. That's trouble. You better know Jesus for yourself and understand how he works in your life. But don't go doing what people tell you to do because people cause you to make a bigger mess than you have already made. Just stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. God is merciful. His mercy are new every day. God loves you. God is faithful. God went to the cross for you. He don't want to see you perish. He don't want to see you destroyed. He don't want to see you lose out on eternity. He will do whatever he needs to do. You just got to keep on wanting it. The problem only comes in when you decide you don't want it. Thankfully, God does not just see the here and now. (laughs) 
he also see the there and then. And when Peter was rebuked by the Lord, the Lord rebuked him for that stupid comment. But that didn't mean he was stupid. The Lord rebuked him for that stupid comment, but that didn't mean the Lord rejected him. The Lord rebuked him, and God will chastise us. God will correct us. God will rebuke us. But it doesn't mean he's done with us. Only a terrible father and mother just let their children do whatever and never correct them. Peter would have loved to have grown from foul-mouthed fishermen to polished preacher overnight. Didn't go that way. Discipleship does not work that way. You don't get born again today and tomorrow you're a great Christian. Don't work that way. Discipleship works one service at a time, one prayer meeting at a time, one Bible study at a time, one devotion at a time. Christ is formed in us one day at a time and one day at a time takes patience. God is making us into disciples if we will let him. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 4 verse 19 it says my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. When you're born again Christ is being formed in you and the bottom line is we cannot just be born again and say hey I'm born again we must become disciples. And the way you become disciples is Christ being formed in you. We will have times when we pray through and feel like we were walking on clouds. Thank God for those times, but we are not automatically exempt from taking life's tests and facing life's temptation. There's going to be good days and bad days, church. We still live in this world. Although we are not of this world, we live in this world. Probably if you want to know who I am as a preacher, go back to my first sermon that I ever preached. The title of my first sermon I ever preached, Sunday night service, fire in the church. The title was, we're not of this world. That was the very first message I preached in front of people like this. The, the, the title of the message was, we are not of this world. So that tells you everything you need to know about me. That was my first message. And I still feel that same way today. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasure is all laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I am not going to allow myself to think that this is everything because this is not everything. And you get disappointed and you will get hurt and you will lose out on eternity when you think this world is everything. It's not our home. We're pilgrims. We're just passing through. And so some people are having a good time because this is all they got to look forward to. When this world is your home, you have a good time in it because this is all you're going to get. Because it's not our home, we won't have the same good time like the people of this world will have. So stop trying to have the same good time they have. This is the crescendo of their life. This is the high point of their life. 
But as a disciple of Christ, this is not the high point of our life. This is not the crescendo of our life. I know we're going to have some good times in this life, but it won't be like the people that says this is their home. They're going to have a better time than you. That should help somebody here tonight. Because I think that's where we get crossed up. We keep looking around. Gabby, we keep looking around. You're going to say, man, my pastor give me a hard time. But I'm going to give you a hard time because we're going to get you through college saved and we're going to get you where you got to get to save. So I'm going to be on you, white on rice. But I got to tell the young people that because what's challenging to the young people, they're looking around and thinking, well, I need to go because they're having a good time. They're having a better time than you and they will because this is all they have. This is it. It's everything to them. And if you start doing like them, then this is everything to you. So what do you want? Because it don't work both ways. This can't be everything and heaven be everything. The Bible says we can only serve one master. We cannot serve two masters. You can't serve God and serve man. You can't serve this world and serve heaven. You only can serve one. One. So the moment you make a decision, what you're going to serve and who you're going to serve. That's all you can serve. Can't do both. So if you want to start making this world everything to you, like some people have already made it to themselves, then you're just, just like them. No different. I'm trying to get there. Discipleship requires consistency. I always ask every once in a while or so often, I will say to people, what is the hardest thing to do as a Christian, as a, as a disciple? What is the hardest thing to do? And everybody always have these great answers. And I stop them after a while when, they, when I tell them that's not the answer. The hardest thing to do as a Christian is to be consistent. It's not all the other stuff. We can do all the other stuff, and we have done all the other stuff. The problem is we don't do it consistently. That's the difference. And so the discipleship process includes consistency. In order to grow as disciples, we must be consistent in our walk with God. This is the area we often call spiritual disciplines. Uh huh. They are as helpful to a spiritual health as exercise is to our physical health. So your spiritual disciplines, your consistency spiritually is just as important, more important, than your desire your body has for physical health. Uh They can also be as difficult to squeeze into our spiritual schedule as exercise is to our physical schedule. If, If you're like me, I, I have my spurts where I'm consistently going to the gym, hitting it hard. And then all it takes sometimes one little thing and I'm like struggling to get back on track. Always happens. My life is not, my life used to be a little, a lot more consistent. I got a lot of turns now in my life. I got a lot of, uh, 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 uh. so schedule get a little, you know, interfered with a lot of times. But there was a time where I can just say, I will always, uh, uh, not, not that way. And, and, and me, I'm such a systematic person, 
um, in the way I get things done that if the schedule gets interrupted, I get messed up for a little bit. It's just the way it is. And so in everything, it's like that. And so it's not easy to be consistent. You must work hard at being consistent. Discipleship needs consistency. Each day, make sure to schedule time to read the word of God and to meditate on what you have read. Journal what you read. I've told you that. Journal what you have read. Just don't read it and keep moving because you might forget it. But when you journal what you have read, you can go back and read it again. Say, what did God put in my heart that morning when I read those texts? Journal what you have read. Take notes. Ask questions. And then study the Bible to find answers. I said, study the Bible to find answers. These things are important. One of the spiritual disciplines we, meet, we need to make sure we follow consistently is prayer. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 40, he says, And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep, and said unto Peter, Peter again, Peter, Peter, what could you not watch with me one hour? This is where we find that one hour prayer time, church. If you want to say, what, where did they come up with this one hour, one hour stuff? It's this, you know, the Lord Jesus said, you couldn't watch and pray with me for one hour? Yes, sir. They won't sleep, fall asleep if they keep their eye open? Let me, <laughs> let me help y'all though. So that's what Brother Kellyman said. We go on in verse 41 and verse 41 says, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. And y'all answer is, the spirit is indeed willing, but my flesh. Even people that are not Christians use that quote. Boy, I want to go to church. You know, the spirit always willing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. We use God's words for whatever we want to use it for. We won't use it for what's right. We use it for how it fits our life. But keep your eyes open and you won't fall asleep according to Brother Kellerman. Every prayer meeting may not always feel like you're camped out in the throne room of God. And that's okay. God is pleased with consistency. Pray on days you feel like praying, and especially on days you do not feel like praying. Pray! Pray when you feel the presence of God, and when you do not feel the presence of God. Pray before the day really starts. Pray before school starts. Pray before trial starts. I've often said, every failure in our life is a failure to pray. Because if we prayed before that trial, we probably would have passed that trial. A consistent prayer life will help all of us grow in Christ and Christ to be formed in us. Settle in your heart these non-negotiables of discipleship. Before each day ends, read the word of God and spend time in prayer unto the Lord. Finally, the process of discipleship requires submission. The process of discipleship requires submission. Prayer keeps us submitted. 
to the Lord Jesus. If we're not praying, we won't submit. Because prayer keeps you humble. Prayer keeps you submitted to the word of God. But when you're not praying, you get haughty. When you pray, I've, <laughs> I've experienced it, whether it's fasting and praying or just praying. If you really pray or you really fast, somebody can get real crazy with you and you just be like, it's okay, whatever. <laughs> like almost like you're lost in another zone. Like, okay, whatever you say. Whatever you say. That's what prayer does for us. It keeps us from arguing with people. It keeps us from a haughty spirit. It keeps us from sinning. Prayer keeps us submitted. Simon Peter would have been dangerous on his own. If Peter had his way, Jesus would not have died. And we would still be in our sins. He had no clue what he was saying. But he thought he was spiritual. (laughs) Peter thought he was doing God a favor. But as well-intentioned as Peter was, he needed Jesus to help keep his eyes on spiritual things, not carnal things. Jesus told Peter, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's point of view. We have a tendency to do the same when we're dealing with things. We see it from a human's point of view and not from God's point of view. So God filled us with his spirit. This is why it's important to have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. God filled us with his spirit, and guess what? And he gave us a pastor. Pastors are not perfect, but pastors are God's perfect will for his church. Again, God is the owner, is the head, is the creator of the church. And he decides, I'm going to give you my spirit, and then I'm going to put my servant in the church to lead you. It's up to you. There will be times God places a burden on a pastor's heart to preach publicly or to say privately something you need to hear in order to get your heart right with God. After those messages or those meetings, you have a choice. Nobody can make you do what you, what, what you don't want to do if you're an adult. You do whatever you want. You can hear the word from the preacher in your life and submit to it, or you can hear the word and ignore it. God can use someone that you might think is not worthy. Because too many people, I tell you, people shut down sometimes, they don't want to hear what you have to say, or you're only worthy when you agree with them. You're only worthy when you're telling them something that they like. But the moment you start telling them something that they don't like, oh, he ain't even worthy. He he ain't even no man of God. (laughs) I learned a long time, Brother Henry, it's in the word. It says if you receive a prophet as a prophet, you will receive a prophet's reward. That's the word of God. And so I don't care what your flaws are. If God has made you his man, if God has made you his woman, and you're carrying God's word and you're doing God's will, I'm receiving you as a man of God. I'm receiving you as a woman of God because I know that God has called his people what they are. Guess what? Even Jonah that we thought was
was all crazy, God called him a prophet. And some people might think, Jonah, that crazy dude that ran away and didn't want to preach. When God says you are his man, when God says you are his woman, that's what you are. That's what, who are we to think because somebody have a flaw or made a mistake to think they're not God's man anymore? When God is good and ready, he will sit that man down or sit that woman down when he's done with them. But until then, you're not the one to choose and decide what you should listen to and not listen to that they're saying. When God is good and ready, he'll deal with them. Because just like God has given you plenty of chances, he got to give his servants plenty of chances as well. We don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear that God need to give his servants, his pastor, a chance. Pastor Rojo, we got it. He a pastor. Well, God has dealt with you and forgiven you a thousand times. This might be the pastor's, you know, hundred times. You got a thousand over here. The pastor got a hundred and you want him to pay dearly, huh? But your thousand is okay because you're not the pastor. <laughs> it's okay. I'll let God deal with that. I just got to speak what I feel the Holy Ghost want me to say. Uh-huh. How you do anything is how you do everything. How you do anything should be how you do everything. But we need to make sure everything we do, we do unto the Lord. And if you do everything unto the Lord or anything unto the Lord, you do it all the same way. Uh Uh-huh. Let me close up and tell you a story about an Olympian. On August 7th, 2020, Hunter Kemper jumped into the water for the start of the London Olympic triathlon. He and the other 54 contestants splashed their way down the swim course at 36 years of age. Kemper finished a 1,500-meter swim a 40-kilometer bike ride, and a 10-kilometer run. Though he did not medal, he did prove that even at his age, the process of preparation definitely pays off. The athletes who qualify for an Olympic team are in top physical shape. Boxers, wrestlers, swimmers, and cyclists do not automatically get tickets or get, get, get a ticket to compete simply because they are in pretty good shape. Fitness at the Olympic level takes on a different meaning. The fittest athlete do not always get the medals, but they always have a distinct advantage. Physiologists have calculated the difference between a gold medal glory and just missing the medal stand as one half of 1%. For top Olympic athletes like Kemper, training is a a six-day-a-week job. These are the things that start getting me crazy. You know where I'm going. I just lose my mind when I think about how people can be so disciplined and so faithful and committed to things that when they die, that's it. Don't amount to anything. And what we're supposed to be doing gives us eternal life and afford us the privilege to impact other people's life eternally. 
What we do is eternal. It never ceases. And people are committed more than we are. That's always a challenge to me when I think about those things. Hunter Kemper lives with his family in Colorado Springs, so he's able to train at high altitude. His daily routine begins at 7.30 a.m. with a 5,000-meter swim. He chooses to swim first because it's the hardest thing for him to do if he is tired. After a break, he runs 10 to 12 miles before breaking for lunch. After lunch, he bikes for a couple of hours, pedaling approximately 40 miles per day. Of course, somewhere in his day, he still finds time for a period of weights and stretching. Beyond the scene, nutrition and exercise machines, there remains a simple formula for becoming an Olympic athlete. To become an Olympic athlete means you probably don't have time for anybody else. You just have to do your thing and ignore everybody else. You don't have time. The winning athletes are simply willing to work harder. Listen to this. The winning athletes are simply willing to work harder than anyone else to reach their goal. You do not win an Olympic medal by being gifted, says Kemper's trainer. You win an Olympic medal by being willing to work harder than everyone else. The process of becoming a disciple is not always easy, but it is necessary. So how do you embrace the process? Thankfully, walking with Jesus does not always include hearing, get thee behind me, Satan. There are other times when God lifts us from from this world and gives us a taste of the world to come. Like the Olympic athlete, it is not the most gifted individuals who will become the most noted disciples. And so sometimes we look around and we say, wow, that person is gifted. I'm not like them, so God is using them. Wrong. Giftedness have nothing to do with you being a disciple of Christ and how God worked through you. Disciples are marked by those who are willing to submit to the process. None of us will have any excuse as to why we didn't become who God called us to be because all it comes down to is not talent, not gift, but who submitted to the process. And who submitted to the process or who submits to the process will finish this course, will finish their race, and will accomplish what God had set out for them to do. And so, if you didn't know this, with all that Peter went through, Brother D, crazy. You know, Peter used to cuss. He, he was just crazy. And even when God delivered him from cussing because God called him from being a fisherman to go fish for men. And so he had been born again and start living for God. And so he, he, he still had cussing in his heart a little bit because when they took Jesus to go crucify him, to go um, uh, uh, beat him, when they took him, guess what? He was ready to cuss them out. He cussed them out. He also cussed the girl that, that, that was asking him if you was with Jesus. So the, 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 the cussings thing was still in his heart even though he was saved. So if you slip and cuss, it don't mean you don't, you're not saved. I'm, I'm serious. I'm, I'm, you know, if you slip and curse, Peter slipped and curse. And with all of that, Peter continued in the process. In Acts chapter 2, 
closing statements here. In Acts chapter 2, verse 14, watch what the scripture said. But Peter, remember we were reading in Matthew when Peter was just crazy. We were reading in Matthew. But now in Acts, it says, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, ye men of, Ga of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see vision, and your old men shall dream dreams. And up and on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out this, those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Don't mean you just say, God, I believe you died and rose on the third day. It means you call on the name of the Lord to save you, and then he sends instructions on how you need to get saved. When you call on God, he tells you what to do. You don't call on God and tell him what to do. Oh, help me, Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it says, Therefore, let all, this is still Peter talking, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God had made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ, mean God and Messiah. Now when they have heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. All of what Peter went through, the very first message that was preached to the church was preached by Peter because he withstood the process. He stayed the course and allowed the Lord to take him through the process of being a disciple. You have no clue what God has in store for you. But if you run from the process, you will never know what God has in store for you. So you have to stay in the process to see and to know what God has in store for you. If you reject the word of God, you will never get to know what God has in store for you. If you turn your back on the word of God, you will never get to know what God has in store for you. If you disobey what the word of God is saying to you because you're here in this church and God wants you to be here. So he brought you here and he's using me as his vessel to speak to you. And when you hear this word, you need to become a doer of what you have heard. When you don't hear, you still forfeit the process and you will not be what God called you to be. We're forfeiting the process because all we're doing is getting knowledge and we're doing nothing with it. Remember, I said faith is having the knowledge of God, but faith without works is dead. So we have the knowledge and we keep thinking we need something else. We have the knowledge and we keep thinking that, oh, there is a little bit more to it. And all God wants you to do is put some work into the knowledge that you have obtained. If God says be holy, just be holy. 
said be righteous, just be righteous. If God said appraise me, then praise him. If God said worship me, then worship him. If God tell you to assemble yourself with the church, assemble yourself. Why are we not doing what God says? If we will do what God says, then we will become who God said we will become. I know I don't need to feel bad for God, but I feel bad for God. I know I don't need to feel bad for him, but I feel bad for him because his plan is so glorious. And he has shown us and given us proof of how great he is and what he can do. But we're still sitting on him. We still want him to spoon feed us. And God is not going to do that to you. One thing I know about God, we are going to do what we're responsible to do. And he will do what he's responsible to do. God will not do what you or I are responsible to do. He will not do it. And many of us are stuck in a rut because we want God to treat us like babies. We want God to come and spoon feed us and he won't do it. And so you're going to find yourself in that same place just murmuring and complaining and start saying, I don't know if I believe all that stuff. Why? Because you're not doing what you're supposed to do. You don't know if you believe all that stuff. Let's stand. Get your two cents in. One hundred percent. He is he is what what Brother Kellerman is saying, which today I heard a powerful message by Jerry Jones at Louisiana camp meeting. And and but what he was really saying, what Brother Kellerman is really saying is every portion of what God tells us is detailed. It's specific. And we might take it as no big deal. But unfortunately, it is a big deal because God is very specific in everything that he does. And sometimes we overlook it because we're thinking this is not a big deal. Yeah, I don't see what's the big deal of not saying anything. Well, if God say don't say anything, then don't say anything because there's more to it than you can understand. It's more to it. We just take it as no big deal. But everything God says, there's more to it than he has said to us because we can't handle everything. It's always more to it. When he told them not to go say anything, it's more to it. And absolutely, yes, I don't want you to go ruining the plan because I got a plan. I need to work a certain way. So keep your mouth shut. Everything that God says and does is specific. And we cannot just go and do what we want and say, well, God understands. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. Your word is rich. Your word is unchanging. Your word, Lord God, and you are synonymous. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And, oh, God, we give you praise tonight and honor. We're grateful, Lord. 
for all of your goodness. Will somebody just lift their hands and worship the Lord before we leave here today? Won't you just lift your hands and thank God tonight for his goodness. Thank God for what he's doing. Thank God for his truth because we have heard truth tonight. You can't go every place and hear truth. I know we don't think that way, but yes, I'm telling you, we don't always go places and hear truth. We don't always go places and God speaks to us in a clear way, but we thank God for his word tonight. We thank God for the body of Christ, the family of God. Lord, I pray your blessing upon your people tonight, Lord, that God, I can feel in their heart that they are inspired. I can feel within their spirit, Lord, they're ready to do what you want them to do. I can feel within them, Lord God, that they have received the word of the Lord. Now, Lord, I pray that you'll help them to apply it and not to, oh God, reject it, not to forget it, but let the Holy Ghost remind them. Let the Holy Ghost bring back to their memory what they have heard tonight and teach them what they need to do, how to apply your word. I pray the blessings of God upon this church, upon on every individual here. I pray for healing power to move upon you. I bind you with healing in the name of Jesus Christ. And I loose you from sickness and disease and ailments. And I pray God's glory upon your life. I pray God's provision in your life. I pray God's will to be done in your life. I pray God's favor in your life. I pray God's wisdom, God's knowledge and understanding. I pray no weapon formed against you will prosper. I pray you will trust in the Lord and lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him that he will direct your path. Lord, have your way in their heart and in their mind. Help them to be faithful. Help them to commit their ways unto you. Oh, Father, have your way. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come in this earth vessel in all of these earthen vessels as it is in heaven in this earth as it in this heaven in heaven lord have your way we give you praise and honor we bless your name the lord is good his mercy everlasting his truth and glory to all generation let's clap our hands unto the lord and give him praise open up your mouth and praise him hallelujah 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for the process of discipleship. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Before we go, we want you to meet our guests. Amen. Jimmy and Sarah Parker. I think they've been here before. Haven't they been here? I thought so. Brother Henry gave you one of the cards, but I remember you. I remember both of you. Thank God for you tonight. You made it back up this way. We appreciate you being here on a Thursday night. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being a part of our Thursday night Bible study. We pray God bless you and have safe travels back. Thank you for being here. God bless you. Let's make sure we love them. Jimmy and Sarah, let them know God loved them. If you have any money to give towards the building fund, Brother Henry, have the basket. Give unto our building fund. As you know, we're trying to get our building soon. So give unto the building fund. God bless you. In Jesus' name.